catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Say goodbye to the food police and hello to peace. Welcome to the Love Food Podcast, hosted by dietitian and food behavior expert, Julie Duffy Dillon. This authentically engineered series is in the form of a love letter, welcoming you to reconnect with food. Now pour a cup of coffee or a margarita and let's begin. Welcome to episode 156 of the Love Food Podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I am so glad you're here. Thank you for connecting today. And I wonder as you're on your own journey with your relationship with food, if it's feeling chaotic and maybe does it feel controlling? Like every single thought of every single day Even maybe you're dreaming about it at night. So it's not even just when you're awake, but maybe even while you're asleep, you're thinking about food. Now, food, we need it to survive. So we're supposed to think about it a lot. And I know some people have estimated that we make at least 200 food decisions a day. But when you are in that space where food is in every thought, it will be exhausting and it'll feel like food controls you. So I wonder if you can relate. If you can, then this letter is written for you. I have a letter from someone who does feel like food controls their life. And every time they're stressed, they either restrict or binge. And it just feels so like a dichotomy. It feels all or nothing. And they feel like there's just not a way out, but they really want to get out. So I can't wait to dive in to different ways that you can move away from food feeling like it controls you. And here's the thing, food controls all of us, and that's a good thing. But before we get to this episode's letter, a word from our sponsor. This episode of A Love Food Podcast is brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. So PCOS, also known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, is a condition where food will feel like it controls your life because you are told I know you're told, to diet, to treat it. I don't have PCOS, but after the last 20 years working with people affected by it, I have learned that that is just basically what everyone hears whenever they get diagnosed with PCOS is like, well, you're just gonna have to diet for the rest of your life. You're gonna have to cut out carbohydrates. You're gonna have to exercise until it hurts. Well, here's the thing. I know that diets don't work for most people, so they're not gonna work for PCOS either. So when I started working with people with PCOS, I was like, I need to help them find another way. 
And so I put my head down and I started really studying different ways from people who have walked this path before me. And I also really listened to what people with PCOS were saying, that they were cutting out everything and exercising till it hurts. And it still wasn't making them feel better. And they were being tortured. It is pure torture to cut out carbohydrates when someone's in the throes of a lot of the experiences with PCOS. And here's the cool part. After working with hundreds of people with PCOS, we have put together a 12-step system that helps people move away from diets, get to a place where they feel like they're making strides with their health while they're affected by PCOS, and they're not dieting. And that's that's totally a possibility for you. So if you would like to check out details about this course, which it's self-guided and it's downloadable, you can just do it at your own pace. You can do like a Netflix type binge over the weekend. All the details on it though are at pcosandfoodpeace.com. A new part of the course that I've just done is instead of having a Facebook group, which seems like no one's usually using Facebook groups these days. So I was really thinking about a better way to do it. And so instead, what we're going to do is monthly Q&A calls where we jump on Zoom and anybody who has questions or just wants to chat with other people who are affected by PCOS, they can um, jump on Zoom and either on their phone or on their computer and chat live. So I'm really excited to start that up really soon. But anyway, all the details at pcosandfoodpeace.com. You could also check out the dietitian continuing education course that I've put together to do the same thing to help dietitians learn to do this. You can get to those details at pcosandfoodpeace.com slash dietitians. And there's 20 continuing education units. So I look forward to seeing you within the course. I'm really excited to share the work going on within Decolonizing Fitness. The person behind it, behind it is Ilya Parker, is a trans person of color, physical therapy assistant, and medical exercise coach with over 13 years of rehabilitative and functional training experience. He's a social justice advocate and educator whose work centers gender, racial, and healing justice. He decided to merge his love for restorative-based movement practices and community advocacy to create Decolonizing Fitness, LLC which is a social justice platform that provides affirming fitness services, community education, and apparel in support of body diversity. I support Decolonizing Fitness, and I hope you can too. Check out decolonizingfitness.com. Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcasts. Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware, it's a thing that is around the corner for you. 
So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter. Dear food, food, you control my life. You control my daily life. I think about my next meal every second of every day. Stress makes me restrict or binge. There's no in between. I lost X amount of pounds in the month of April and May, almost hospitalizing me. Then I gained even more weight back in one month. I binged cookies, ice cream, anything sugary. Every day, sometimes twice a day. Food controls me, but I am more powerful. I can control this. Disordered eating is an issue for me. I want to look like myself again. Not me during restriction. Not me during binging. Normal me. Physically and mentally me. Love me. Hey there, letter writer. Thank you so much for your note. I really appreciate it. And you know, there are people listening who totally get that control, that way that food just controls and dictates every thought of every day. It must be exhausting to manage things like relationships, a job, or studying, or just getting through like daily things we have to do to take care of ourselves. It must be exhausting. And, you know, food control or that control that food has on our life, it's not supposed to be that way. You know, the way that I think our body was designed, um, you know, I believe in evolution and then also something bigger, but no matter how we believe we got here, our body is designed to think about food when we need to, which it's not supposed to be all the time. But It is supposed to happen at times in order for us to stay alive. It's really quite awesome how our body can save us and it can do that by making us obsess over food. So here's the thing. Our body is designed to start to think about food and to really obsess about food when it knows that food is scarce. I think about our ancestors, hundreds of thousands and even further back years ago, what they had to go through to just stay alive. And they probably had to move around and move to places where they could find food. And the way they knew to do that is when food ran out, their brain would tell them, hey, go find food, (laughs) go seek it out. It was just part of the primal way that we've managed to keep ourselves going. A part of that as well is that 
food is really pleasurable. It is. It feels great. It is soothing. And that oomph we get after a really good, yummy meal. And when I say good, I mean delicious, delicious meal. It it just is so satisfying and pleasurable. I think that's another part of all this. I think that's part of how our brain primally, if that's a word, (laughs) in a primal way, keeps us alive because it feels good to eat. And when we don't get enough food, it will bother us with obsession until we get food again. So I'm certainly not an expert on neurology, but there are parts of our brain that are wired to do this. And it's in the part of our brain that is like the lizard part of our brain, the primal part. Is it the amygdala? Someone will know who's listening. <laughs> but anyway, the, wh- the reason why we know this, one of the big reasons we know is because of a really popular, well-known study called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. It was done in the 40s. Yes, I know that was, seriously, it's almost 100 years now, 80 years ago. But you can never replicate the study. You can't. It would just be totally unethical. But I'm going to give you the the basic of the, the study so you can appreciate why I'm saying food controls your life because of some primal unmet need. And it doesn't mean that you're weak or you're doing anything wrong. It just means you're being a successful human. So the Minnesota starvation experiment, the way I understand it, is that Ansel Keys, who was the primary investigator for the study, recruited men who were drafted into World War II, but were conscientious objectors, which means they were people who did not want to engage in fighting and killing people because of their belief system. And so by claiming to be a conscientious uh, objector, from how I understand it, a person could serve their time by being a part of research studies. And they recruited men who were physically and mentally robust is the way that it's described. So they picked um, young men who were in their um, early 20s and they did lots of screening, mental health screening and physical screening to make sure that there weren't any diseases, that there weren't any depression or anxiety or eating disorders, that they actually were physically and mentally very strong. So they were men who could withstand a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, and um, just to see basically what they were testing was to see how the body reacted to starvation and basically to see how the body reacted if they were a prisoner of war. So I'm going to be talking about the study, and I think it's important just to give you a content warning that there'll be some references to things like starvation in case that's something that you just do not want to listen to right now. I want to give you that heads up. But I digress. So they recruited um, men to do this study. And it was a year-long study. But the first three months, they fed the men normally the amount of food that they figured out that they needed. And um, after that, after three months, feeding them cafeteria style in like a dorm type setting. But they were allowed to leave and do regular things like go on dates and go on outings and um, do activities and things like that. After that, for the next six months, they restricted their intake. And the amount of calories they restricted to was, I'm not going to name the actual number, but it's an amount that is more than a lot of people eat when they're dieting. So 
the fact that it was called a starvation experiment is almost kind of funny to us now because the amount of food that people think they should eat in order to lose weight, um, just a diet and in one way that is considered healthy is a lot less than what we would have called starvation in this experiment. Actually, they called it semi-starvation, yet still that word starvation was in there. And anyway, so what they did then is just observed how these men reacted to the semi-starvation state. And they did it for six months. And what they noticed in this qualitative data was that their mood shifted within weeks. Their mood became depressed. Their libido was gone. They were anxious. And they also were very, um, I guess, obsessed is the word to think about, but just thinking about food a lot and always talking about food. They were hoarding recipes and cookbooks. This was way before we had any cooking shows, but they were doing things like I hear my clients doing when they're um, eating too little, even if they think it's enough, but people will talk about, I just watch Food Network all day long, or I just dream about food, or I think about food. And it's all I think about. And that was something that these men were exhibiting. They also were very uncomfortable at eating time in a way. Like I I think they posted the menu um, beforehand. I don't know if it was weekly or monthly, but if there were any tweaks made last minute, some of the men became very um, angry about that. Some men ate really quickly. Some men took their time and and cut their things up in really, really, really small pieces. Um, it depended. What they also saw was that um, besides thinking about food, some men would go and sneak out and binge on food. They also said that they felt really guilty about that when they, um, they felt really ashamed that they were doing this, that they couldn't keep it together which is really interesting. And that's why I bring up the Minnesota starvation experiment to you now is that we know that um, these people who had no mental health concerns at all and actually scored really high on their ability to withstand stressful situations fell to food controlling them. And it wasn't because they were weak. It was because that is how our brain is wired to keep us alive. So when you notice, listener, when you notice that food is in every thought, food is controlling your life, it's because your brain is rooting for you. It wants you to stay alive. If you're thinking about food all the time, you're either A, not eating enough, or or maybe and, not allowing yourself enough. So sometimes people are eating the amount that they think their body may need, and they're grossly underestimating that. Or if legitimately they're eating an amount that normally they'd feel okay around, but they don't have permission to do that, or the food has no pleasure whatsoever, or it's cutting out a whole food group, it's going to do the same thing. Because our brain, when it thinks it's running away from a lion, it's going to shoot out adrenaline and cortisol and all these things that make our body guarded. And when our body is guarded, our brain is guarded about lack of food, it's going to let you know that that's not okay. So for you, letter writer, the very first thing I thought about reading your note was, wow, her body and her brain 
are successfully surviving. That's so great. I'm so glad all the wiring is connected and it's working. It's letting you know that there's not enough permission to eat. There may not be enough permission to have pleasure with food or to have enough satisfying food or spend enough time at your meal, or there just may not be enough food, period. And it could be because of dieting. It could be because of finances. It could be because of pressure of eating around certain people because you may not feel like you are acceptable the way you are. All those things can be making food have this kind of direct way of speaking to you by constantly tapping you on the shoulder. Just that tap, 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 tap all day long. And again, it reminds me, how do you do it? How do you get through the day? Manage a job and relationships and get things done, just taking care of yourself. That has got to be exhausting. And so I hope by going through the primal kind of wiring that all of us as humans, successful humans, all of us that are still alive have, I hope it gives you permission to give your body what you need and and notice how your body is reminding you. When the tapping starts to ease up, that means you're onto something. And it may not be the answer you want. You may need to eat more than you think. I love Summer Inanen's work. She's a health coach and she was on the Love Food podcast about a year ago. And something that she says often that I just think is so important to hold on to is that kick-ass people, we need to eat more than we think. If we want to get shit done, if we want to live our life, we need to eat more than we think. And you know what? We can diet, we can restrict ourselves, but we're not going to be able to do the things that we want to do. We're not going to be able to live our life. We're not going to be able to be engaged. And for you, letter writer, and anyone listening, I want you to live I want you to be engaged in life. And honestly, we need you. You're here for a reason. I know that sounds just so idealistic and dripping with cheesiness, but I really do think you're here for a reason. And I I want you to be engaged in this because I want to see what you can do. I want to see the things that you can make happen, the changes and the relationships you have. I want to see what you can do with all that. And you need to eat more than you think in order to complete what you're supposed to be doing. Okay. So one other thing I want to mention in your letter, you said stress makes me restrict or binge. There's no in between. And I think it's really important that you mention that because when you were, when I was reading your words, I pictured your brain like this kind of like super highway. Um, When we have thoughts and feelings and our body is just going through what needs to go through throughout the day, our brain has this like wiring system hooked up. And some of it's primal, like I was just talking about. And some of it is kind of joined together over time. And I like to think of it in a way of like roads. And some roads are like in the beginning stages, like we have a machete out and we're just like cutting down the weeds and um, making a clearing by hand. And over time, as thoughts happen over and over again, there's a road, there's asphalt that's laid down, there's concrete. And then eventually it's like one of those big super highways in like in Los Angeles or a really big city that has those really big highways. And over time, if our relationship with food becomes complicated because we don't feel at home in our own skin, or we're taught to distrust our body, or we're taught we have to diet, or we're taught, hey, 
Um, when we eat a certain way, it helps us cope with our trauma or it helps soothe us. All of those together make these kind of super highways. So when some kind of either intolerable kind of experience, maybe stress, or it may even be an emotion. It could be an emotion that feels good, or it can be one that doesn't feel good. For many people, it doesn't matter. It can be any of those. But for you, letter writer, you said stress. So I picture instead of it stress leading to um, going to see a therapist or calling a friend, the immediate kind of reaction that's just evolved over time that's been about survival and soothing has been either restrict or binge. And I think it's really important to just acknowledge that that system evolved as a way to survive. And I really encourage you, letter writer, and anyone listening who can identify with this, to give yourself a ton of compassion when you notice this happening and picture that super highway and get out the machete, figuratively, of course, and start to make a new path that is first laying down compassion and permission. When you have unconditional permission to eat, which is the foundation for intuitive eating. If you're new to the Love Food Podcast, intuitive eating is a book that was um, written in the mid-90s by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. It's now this kind of movement of moving away from diets. And um, it really is one of the few things that is my foundation of the work that we explore on the food peace journey. But unconditional permission to eat with compassion, that is what you can do to help build new roads. Because stress can feel soothed with restricting and binging, and eventually you'll find other ways. But you can't stop binging and restricting in response to stress until you really have those other ways set. There's other roads there. And it's a gentle kind of nuanced process that honestly that you can do on your own and you may find a catalyst with a therapist or a coach or some kind of helper, certainly a dietitian. And I always have in the show notes, a link to finding a dietitian that can help you with something like this if you have access to it. But I encourage you to notice when you're stressed, okay, I see the superhighway leading me to restrict or binge. And then give yourself permission to do what you need to do and explore other ways to experience stress. But here's the kicker. As long as you're checking your weight, as long as you're pursuing weight loss, as long as you're thinking, I am not here until I'm no longer binging or restricting. I'm no longer here until I'm thinner. That new pathway is not going to be there. As long as there's a pursuit of weight loss, our relationship with food will stay chaotic because of that primal brain I was talking about earlier. Because that threat of deprivation that comes from checking the weight will always bring us back to that primal brain and that food obsession and food will control you. We need to move away from the pursuit of weight loss in order to heal. If we no longer want food to control us in the way that you're describing, if we no longer want to think about food all the time, which again, we're not supposed to think about it all the time. We're just supposed to think about it when we're starting to get hungry and maybe when we're doing some food prep or going to the grocery store, we're not supposed to think about it all the time. If you want to move to that, the first step is body respect in the food peace journey. It's respecting your body 
to move away from diets because diets haven't worked. All they led to is the chaos. If you want to know more about that first step on the food peace journey, that respect has six different kind of strategies or keys to it. What I want you to do is go to juliedillonrd.com slash six keys to food peace. And that'll take you through the summary of respect, that first key, that first step towards food peace. All right. So I see food has written back. Thank you so much for your note and stay connected. I want to know how things are going as you're moving along your journey. This episode of the Love Food Podcast was brought to you by my PCOS and Food Peace courses. Get to all the information at PCOSandFoodPeace.com. Also, be sure to check out the work at Decolonizing Fitness. You can get to Ilya Parker's work at DecolonizingFitness.com. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you could leave a rating review, subscribe or share an episode. Doing any of those acts of kindness really helps the show grow, helps more people find food peace. And I thank you in advance for doing just that. All right. So food is written back. So until next time, take care. Dear me, you and I are enmeshed in a way that has evolved to survive. Why do you judge your survival? Your body is responding to dieting and bad body thoughts just as humans evolve to. You are a successful human. As long as you pursue weight loss, we will be tapping you on the shoulder to keep you alive. We hope you can compassionately move away from diets and weight loss pursuits while getting the support you need. You are enough the way you are. You are enough the way you are. The world needs you, and we hope you gain permission to fuel yourself so you believe it too. Love food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is a Love Food Podcast. Do you want access to more food peace? Jump on over to my website and join my email list. There, I share exclusive content that I don't share anywhere else. Get access to these tips and strategies by going to juliedillonrd.com forward slash sign up. And I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Love Food Podcast. Take care. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.